0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So, this morning we are moving into week two of our series through the Book of Mark. I'm kind of wondering if it's even if there's even a point in keeping track of what week we're on here, because, like I said. It's going to go for a while. Um, I'm anticipating easily into the 40s, so, uh, <laughs> so th- this is going to be a, a spot where we hang out for a bit. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 13, um, if you'd like to follow along. And as I was preparing for this morning, I was, I was thinking about the responsibility that comes with being a parent. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with with being a parent to a child. And it always struck me as interesting that I would have to I'd have to go to school for a really long time to be a doctor. And I'd have to go to school for a really long time to be a lawyer. I have to take two different tests to get my driver's license. And then they check back on me every few years to make sure that I'm still qualified to drive my car. And yet there were no tests, there are no classes, no licenses, no degrees, or certifications that I needed to become a dad. And so when your, your child gets handed to you for the first time, As a mom or a dad, I think there has to be this this probably a universal process that you go through where you question, am I qualified to take on this job? (laughs) Am I qualified to take on this responsibility that has literally just been handed to me? And then as we move forward through the years, every parent looks back and they find those times where they were successful in in their role as a parent. And then equally so, parents look back over the years and they find those times where, where things did not work out the way that they were supposed to work out. What I can say is that my best successes as a father come when I am emulating the example of the perfect father. Through the the pages of scripture and through our own experience, we see that God is ridiculously, energetically crazy about his kids. Our father loves to surprise his kids with good things. We have a Father who sings and dances over us. I want my kids to know that I I love to interact with them and, and talk with them and know that they are not a burden to me, just like our Father treats me. I want my kids to know that sometimes I love them so much that I'm not going to allow them to do the thing that they want to do. Now, I am... By no means a perfect father, but I am learning from a perfect father. And when I look at my kids, I know it is only by the the grace of God and their mother that they are who they are today, because if it was left solely up to me, we would be in a very sad state. As a, a father, I am proud of my children. I am proud of who they are as people. Who they are as students in this school, who proud of who they are as followers of Jesus. I'm a, a proud father, not proud of myself. Not proud of myself for being a father, but proud of my kids. And, and that pride is important. And and sometimes in, in our culture we say, you know, are you supposed to be prideful? Isn't that wrong? It's wrong to have pride in myself but I can be proud of, of what my, my kids are doing. I can have pride that affirms the, the steps and the actions that they're taking as they continue to grow. And so as we look at our passage this morning, we see Jesus coming onto the scene and the voice of the father saying, this is my son and I am proud of him. Listen to him. And as we move through scripture, we see Jesus not only pleases God through what he does, but also through what he doesn't do. And so we look at this passage, there's, there's this temptation to say, wow, there's really not a whole lot here. This is kind of a, a small, compact piece of scripture. But after this section, Jesus is going to embark on a three-year ministry that is going to completely reshape and impact the entire world from his time on earth all the way up to today. So obviously something important is happening here. So what is it that Mark wants to emphasize as the launch pad for that ministry? And We see that in Mark 1. Uh, first Mark 1, 9 through 11. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. And remember what, what just happened prior. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. Crazy John out there with his camel cloak, eating his grasshoppers and, and honey. Kind of a weird dude. He's out in the wilderness and all of Jerusalem has emptied. The surrounding, uh, countryside has emptied because they are all coming to see John. And John's saying, prepare the way because someone is coming. Your Messiah is coming. And so in verse nine, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So as we look at the life of Jesus as we and we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus for quite a while here. Much of what we see in the life of Jesus is Jesus exampling what it is that we should do and exhibiting what we can't do. So let's let's talk about what those things are. So we we talked about it this morning when the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, "How do we pray?" He begins with, "Our Father," Not all-powerful maker, not omnipotent ruler of all things, just dad. Jesus was leading by example in that moment. He was exampling. This is how you are to pray. This is how you are to live your life. He, he led by example. This is how God the Father wants us to come to him. Now, if, if we stop right there, there's these dangerous traps that we have to watch out for. The first trap is that Jesus is exampling for us what to do. And you have to be perfectly like Jesus. Otherwise, God will not be proud of you. That's not what this says. This is dangerous because nobody can do that. There's no one on earth who can, can live up to that standard. But through the grace of Jesus and the cross, we don't have to. But the other end of that trap is, is being that we don't have to worry about temptation because if, if we sin, it's really no big deal because Jesus already did what we couldn't do and paid the price on the cross. So there's really no point to try anyway. And that's also not right. What we're going to see over the next few verses is Jesus showing us what it means to live as a child of the most high God. What what does it mean to be a son of God? And Jesus is also saying, since we can't do it and none of us can, he's going to step in and take our place. So here we have John the Baptist out in the Jordan baptizing dirty, rotten sinners. (laughs) When all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, the one whose sandals John isn't worthy to tie, the guy who he's been saying, that uh, someone's coming. And what does he do? He walks in the water just like everybody else. He gets gets in the water, and, and he says to John, John, you got to baptize me. When we baptize people here, we fill up the, the baptismal in that back room. I open the lid, and I do kind of a quick sweep to make sure there's no spiders or spider webs in there. There always is, just so you guys know. I, I take care of that for you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh we, we clean it, we put fresh water in, so it's this nice thing. If I'm really on it, I may have turned the heater on in time so that it's actually warm. Um, I have had a couple of polar bear baptisms, uh, but most of the time, it's a really comfortable, easy experience. So, pretty sure the Jordan River isn't like that. So, in the Jordan River, we have, let's say, less clean water. We have Entire cities that are emptying their filth into the Jordan River because it takes it away. We have animals doing what animals do in the Jordan River to be taken away. We have uh, livestock that are being cared for that are, are going through the Jordan River also doing what animals do in the river and to be taken away. And then spiritually, what has been happening in that river for the last. Three weeks, let's say. Spiritually, all of the people of Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside have come out to John to be baptized. They have, have come and they've been baptized, saying our, our old selves, we are leaving behind in this water and our new selves are alive. We've repented, we're, we're clean, we're, we're moving forward in what God the Father has for us, not knowing that what God the Father had for them was coming. And here comes Jesus plunging into the water, just like everyone else, except when Jesus was plunged into the water, it wasn't to wash away his sins because he didn't have any, but instead to take all of that filth that was in that river upon himself. Everything that that had been washed off of those people, everything that, that ever would be washed off of all of us was in that river and out he came and he took it all. The the people were baptized to wash away their filth. That, that, was, that was the symbol of what was happening. And yet Jesus was baptized to cover himself with their filth. Did Jesus need to die to his old self? I mean, was was that important? Was that representation something that, that actually had to happen for him? No, he was doing that because he was leading by example. He was, again, exampling what it was that we were supposed to do. At Jesus' baptism, we see the the father saying, this is my son affirming, a proud father saying, this is my son, and proud of him. So we see God the father affirming Jesus. We see a son being obedient to the father. And we see the spirit empowering the son to do what the father has commanded him to do. The sky is torn open, and even though we never hear the words Trinity mentioned in the Bible, did you know that, that there's never once a time in the Bible where it says Trinity? That's just a really hard-to-explain term that the church has <laughs> has come up with. It, you, it, it is one of the most difficult topics to teach on as a pastor is the Trinity. Because you, you come up with all of these different analogies. You come up with all of these different illustrations that, that you think maybe help Understand, but there is just not a way to wrap our heads around on this earth how there are three gods but one God. Three in one. And sometimes there's this temptation to say, well, okay. Jesus is going to be God at this point. He's, he's the JV God, and then we have the varsity God, and then we, we have like the Holy Spirit who just kind of shows up sometimes when he feels like it. No. Three gods, one God, God in three persons. I mean, there's all of these different phrases that we use. And yet so the important thing is to recognize there are times in scripture like we see right now where all three show up at the same time. And, and we start to understand, okay, so, so it's not just like Jesus is here, so God the Father and God the Son are busy. They're all doing the, their activities that they, they're, they're meant to be doing, that they, they have deigned uh, appropriate for them to be doing. And so in this moment, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all at the same time. The, the members of the Trinity aren't only God at certain times. All three are God. As far as this being the launch pad that Mark uses to talk about Jesus' ministry, I don't think it's an accident that the first time we hear God speak in the book of Mark is God saying, I love my boy. I I love my son. As a parent, that speaks to me. As a parent, that says that I should not be afraid to affirm my child in public or in private. Don't be afraid to say, This is my boy, and I am proud of him. I love him. So, where does Jesus go when he comes out of the water? He goes out into the wilderness. And what did we learn about the wilderness last week? It's where people go to do work. It's where, where the hard stuff happens out in the wilderness. Greg, you just came back from the wilderness. Maybe it's enjoyable, but hard stuff happens there, right? Right? So in the wilderness, Mark 1, 12 through 13, it says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You want to know the the translation for drove? It's through. The Spirit threw him out into the wilderness. (laughs) Not because he needed incentive to go, but it it was that urgent that, that he was propelled out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Wait, I thought there was more to it than that. (laughs) Wasn't there supposed to be this whole, like, throw yourself off of a building and all this stuff? Yes, there is. got to go to Matthew and Luke for that. This is the Cliff Notes version. And so what we see here is the ultimate alone experience. I don't know how many of you guys watch the, the show Alone. It's that survival show where, like, somebody just gets... Literally dropped off in the wilderness. and says, "Okay, you get is it ten things that you get to bring with you, and hopefully you can make it." They have a, a little uh, GPS radio, their phone that they can press to say, "I'm ready to come home now." If they can't make it, but what we have here is the ultimate alone experience. He didn't have any food. I don't think he had a fancy fire starter. I don't think he had one of those really nice backpacking tents with like an insulated sleeping bag. This was, this was the ultimate alone experience out in the wilderness. And maybe some of you are saying, nah, I could probably do that. And maybe some more of you are saying, I could probably do that for like 40 seconds. While the wilderness is often a time where God meets with his people, it's also a place where safety and peace can be hard to come by. Jesus went out into the wilderness and he waged war with Satan on his home turf with our souls on the line. And sometimes when we think about this interaction, we we just kind of think about the That back and forth that took place between Jesus and Satan. And we don't really recognize that had Jesus fallen, all of our souls would have been the price. For 40 days, Jesus is weak physically. He hasn't eaten anything, he hasn't slept. And now he goes into battle against Satan. And at the end of the verse, it says, And he was with the wild animals. That's kind of random and and honestly i never really thought very much about that so jesus is out in the wilderness he's he's weak he's defeated and there are wild animals i don't think the wild animals they were talking about are like little fuzzy kittens i would have to say the animals that they're talking about are probably the same wild animals that david dealt with when he was out in the wilderness the lions and the bears and so, not only is he dealing with the spiritual battle that's taking place with Satan, he's dealing with the physical battle and oppression of animals trying to eat him. <laughs> and you don't think about that very often. It's like, well, he's Jesus, isn't he? He's equipped to handle that. But at the same time, there's animals trying to eat him. That has to be, uh, it, there has to be some thought of that. And we see in scripture that Satan uses the things of this world to attack the people of God. Look at the book of Job. The book of Job is a perfect example where he's using the weather to attack Job. He's using all of these different things to, to harm Job. Jesus isn't just being tempted here. He has wild animals coming in opposition to him as well. And so in the midst of this type of conflict. And when we find ourselves in the midst of conflict, it's important for us to recognize that there's also angelic support at the end and throughout. And, so, and that's what they, they call out at the end of that verse. So how, how does this apply? What are, what are we, how are we supposed to, to move forward with this? Jesus made his father proud by what he did and by what he didn't do. We were talking a lot about this in Sunday school this morning. our salvation our healing what the, those two are almost interchangeable in this conversation are they're not based on work they're not based on my best efforts but when I receive salvation shouldn't I want to please God the Father when, when God saves me, when when I have have been rescued, the the correct response is to turn in in thanks, and and there should be the longing of my heart is then to to live in accordance to what God has called me to. So what we see here is Jesus' obedience through baptism showed his power for salvation through the, the chaotic waters that we're, we're going to kind of unpack here in just a minute. So I have two points that I want to g- go through before we wrap up. And sometimes sometimes there's a, a fun thing that you can do when you are studying Scripture, especially in the New Testament. There are things that point forward when you look at Scripture, and there are things that point back. And what we see here is there's a, a, two specific instances that we can look at that are, are pointing back to some very specific points that happened in in the Old Testament that I want us to take a, a moment to look at. So when John baptizes Jesus in the water, he goes down, and and you might not know this if you haven't baptized somebody before, but when you bring them back up, the, the water separates. It, it, it's the person coming out of the water. The water goes over both sides of them. And, and it, so it's kind of like that water parting, and, and they come up, right? So John baptizes Jesus, the the water separates, and and Jesus comes back up. And if we go back to the beginning, in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on day one, God separates the, the light and the dark. And on the second day, he separates the skies from the waters. And then on day three, land is created. Land is created for man to live in safety and security. Fast forward a little bit, sin increases to the point where God sends a flood to now decreate. Water is coming, it's covering up the earth again. In Genesis uh, 7, 11, it says, the windows of heaven were opened and it rained for 40 days and nights. Genesis 8, 1, God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The waters were pushed back so that dry ground could be found. In Genesis 8, 11, it says, the dove came back to him. Noah knew that it was safe to go out onto the dry land because the dove said so. Just, didn't we hear about a dove just a minute ago? I think we did. And so we, we fast forward and the people of God have, have multiplied and they're on their way out of Egypt. They've been rescued out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and they say, we can't swim across There's no way for us to make it through the water. In Exodus 14, 21, Moses stretches out his hand over the sea. The Lord drives the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people cross on dry land in safety. And Joshua and the people are are trying to get into the promised land. They're trying to get to God's presence, God's place that he has set for them. And they're facing obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Joshua 3:17. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, God's presence, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. The same Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. How serious do the people of Israel take this watery depth thing? It seems like they're, they're kind of afraid of the sea. If we look at Jonah 2, 3 through 6, it's for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. The waters closed in over me to take my life, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. The sea was a scary place. The sea was a place of chaos. And so now we come back to Jesus plunging into the mess of the Jordan River and our sin. The waters part as he comes back up, making a way once again for God's people to be in God's place, experiencing God's presence. Matt, that's, that, that was the, the theme from the last series. It carries forward. <laughs> The, the work of Jesus, the, the, the work that Jesus did on the cross creates that same dry ground for us to walk across. Romans 6 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, the, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have been given life again. We've been given access to the promised land again. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. You're scared of the water, scared of the chaos, scared of the things that are uncontainable, that threaten to blot you out, that threaten to blot out your existence, to cover you up. Those are the things that we are all afraid of. And yet Jesus says, I have made a way for you to cross onto dry ground. Over dry ground and into life. If we then look at the Jesus victory over temptation. We see that Jesus has the ability to restore us to a perfect Paradise. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, in the perfect place. Genesis 2.19, he formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought him to the, to the man. Wild animals are brought to the man, and there's no fear. There's no, are you sure this is safe? man was had dominion over the animals a serpent comes into paradise tempting selfish people representing you and me who are longing for what they don't have even when they have everything they choose to take what is not theirs And in Genesis 3.23, it says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. The people are sent outside of paradise into the wilderness where the people will remain. Numbers 32.13, And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all of the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. What should have taken a few weeks took forty years. Isaiah eleven, six through nine. Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. The baby shall play by the viper's den, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. Didn't we just talk about water cover in the sea? Um, Mark 1.13, it says, And Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. Adam and Eve had everything. And now here we have Jesus. Jesus goes among the wild animals. Jesus goes without the food that's in the garden that Adam and Eve had. Jesus goes without the drink that's in the garden. Jesus goes without the fellowship that's in the garden. And yet Jesus is able to do what mankind couldn't do when the circumstances were so much more in our favor. He goes out into the wilderness and he emerges victorious over Satan. The people are kicked out of the garden, sentenced to live in the wilderness and Jesus comes out of the wilderness, kicking off his three-year ministry campaign at the close of which he dies on the cross. He rises again on the third day. And what does he do? He doesn't return as the conquering king. How does he return? John twenty fifteen. Jesus says to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she supposes him to be the gardener. Jesus says, I've done all the work. Come back. Come back into the presence of God. Come back into paradise. Come back into the garden. Sometimes we don't really think about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and and he could have shown up with the crown on his head. He could have shown up with the robe that, that just glowed. And yet when Mary looked at him, she saw the gardener. And sometimes we just write that off as, well, he just saw the gardener, but, but he truly was the gardener, saying, come back to this garden. I have done the work that says you can now come back to the perfect garden. So how does this translate for us today? To make our father proud, what, what should we do? And to make our father proud, what should we not do? Those are our two questions that that we need to ask ourselves, that we need to address for ourselves. And they're going to be different answers for each of us. What are the the responsibilities that I have because of what my father has done for me? Because remember, I I can't earn my position. I've received my position. I've received everything that I have through the grace of God. But what is my response to that, both in in what I do and what I don't do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father. God, we thank you that you made a way for us to come back into the garden. We thank you that you made a way for us to be with you for all of eternity. Lord, as we go forward from this place, I ask that you would would cause us to to have those questions in our mind of of the actions that, that we should be living out and those things that we need to to remove from our lives. Because Jesus, we want to be like you. We, we want to to know who you are. Thank you for this time. God, as we move into a time of ministry, I ask that you would bring peace where there needs to be peace, you would bring comfort, and that you would bring provision, that you would bring healing where there needs to be healing. In your name we pray, amen. So this morning, as we move to our, our time of ministry, if if you have a need this morning, I invite you just to join with those that are around you. Let's, let's take some time and, and pray with one another and join in agreement, knowing that God answers prayer. That our Father God, our God who wants the, the utmost and highest good for your life, wants to be in conversation with you, wants to do life with you, That's what we have the opportunity to bring this morning. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.